it's been a really long break. Because back in uh, November, I stopped my series on Genesis to go into Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And then I just felt like God wanted me to do some other things and not get back to Genesis yet. And I've been released to get back to Genesis now. So um, we're going back to Genesis and we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 37 in your Bibles and cover that chapter this morning. Um, it covers uh, the last part of Genesis, the last 14 chapters, covers the life of Joseph. And uh, this last week, Debbie uh, Demers-Atkins posted a quote on Facebook that fits very well into the series. It says, God raised Moses up in a palace to use him in the desert. God raised Joseph up in a, pal- or in a desert to use him in a palace. And um, the quote demonstrates the creativity of God in the ways that he prepares us to serve him and the ways he's going to use us. Following God is always a surprise. You never quite know what he's up to next and what he's going to do. And so that requires a good bit of flexibility uh, through the ups and through the downs of life, uh, through all the twists and the turns. Sometimes we think that God has forgotten us and that he has abandoned us. And I'm sure that for Moses that was very true. There were times he felt that way. And there were times when, when uh, Joseph certainly had reason to think that God had abandoned him and, and forgotten about him. But whatever we're going through at the moment, God has a plan to use us. And he plans on using our current moment and our current circumstances to prepare us for something he's going to do later. Since we have been away from Genesis, we should not forget um, the context of all the family relationships as we delve into this chapter in particular. We can't forget the context of those as we go into this narrative. You will remember that Jacob fell in love with a young, beautiful lady named Rachel. And he agreed to work for seven years for Laban, her father, in order to marry her. At the end of the seven years, Laban tricked Joseph, and he gave her Rachel's older sister because they always married the oldest first. And so then, after that marriage, a week later, he got to marry Rachel, but he had to work another seven years <laughs> for her. And so, um, through all of that, Jacob always loved Rachel more than Leah. And when God saw that Leah was not loved as much as Rachel, he closed the womb of Rachel. And Rachel's first children, or, or, or Jacob's first children, were by Leah. He had his first four boys were from Leah. And then Rachel decided, well, I'm going to give you my maidservant, uh, Bilhah. And he had two children by her. And then Leah saw that and gave her maidservant, Zilpah, to him. And he had two sons by him. <laughs> And then Leah had two more sons. And then, all wonder of wonders, Rachel finally has a son, and his name is Joseph. He's the 11th son. 
And then Rachel has one more son, Jacob's last son. His name is Simeon. But Rachel dies in childbirth. All of that plays into this story. Jacob is one who kept no secrets in regard to playing favorites. His favorite wife, everyone knew, was Rachel. His favorite son was Joseph, even though he was the 11th one on down, because he was the firstborn child of his beloved wife, Rachel. Then when Rachel dies an early death, Jacob probably loved Joseph even more, especially because Joseph had inherited a lot of Rachel's traits. He was very handsome. He was gracious like Rachel was. There was just an attractiveness and winsomeness about Joseph that just simply wasn't to be found in some of the other children. Now, in any family tree, there is a lot of jockeying for position and for status. But mixed families have a whole other dimension to that. I told you that my father was killed when I was five in a farm accident. And mom, seven years later, when I was just about ready to turn 12, um, she remarried. I was the oldest of three boys. I at least thought I was king of the hill and, you know, a man of the house and in control of everything. <laughs> Even though I was just turning 12. Not only did I have a new man in the house all of a sudden, but along with him came a stepbrother who was just seven months older than I was. And all of a sudden, I didn't have any clue who I was. I didn't know what was expected of me. I didn't know what to expect of anyone else. And I didn't know how to fit in anywhere for a good long time. And it really wasn't any better for anyone else in the family, but that was my perspective. That was where I was living. Joseph is a young man. He's a lad of 17 years of age. He is very responsible for his age. He's very handsome. He's very favored. He is, you know, all of those things. He's spoiled. And he knows all of this stuff about himself. And then his dad gives him a coat of many colors. And this coat uh, probably was a lot more than just a richly ornamented, very colored robe or coat. It may have had very significant meaning, a coat of authority and superiority over his brothers. Whatever it was, it was the last straw for the brothers. That coat caused them a great deal of envy. They despised Joseph, and they wanted to get rid of Joseph. Envy is often the greatest within families. You know that, right? <laughs> a lot of times, if we're envious of someone, it's probably someone within our own family, some, some connection, some relationship there. <laughs> it is where we often expect to get the highest degree of fairness. It is where we expect to be equally valued and appreciated. 
And yet within the family, we are so often disappointed and devastated and disillusioned. And these brothers, for them, envy got the very best of them. Now, I remember being 25 years of age and going to my first church in Belfast, South Dakota. It was a small church. It, they were running somewhere around 20 or maybe a few people less. But I went with a head full of mush. And I thought I was going to be this great mega church pastor. And I had colored charts and with colored pencils. And I had graphs. And I had dreams and all of that. And I still remember that and look back on that. I just laugh at those days. But Joseph was 17 here. And he knew everything. He had no lack of confidence. He certainly didn't lack arrogance. But he also lacked discernment to know when to keep thoughts to himself. Later, when he was very accomplished and had every reason in the world to boast, he did not talk about himself or brag about his accomplishments. That wisdom would have come in handy when he was a young man of 17 years old, but he was too young to receive that kind of wisdom. Joseph was full of himself. What he failed to recognize is that all of his brothers were very full of themselves also. Anytime we start to get full of ourselves and we start to announce it, we need to remember that everyone else around us is full of themselves too. And if we get too full of ourselves, those people who are full of themselves are going to get even with us. Then Joseph has this dream with his brothers bowing down to him. And then he has a dream with his father and mother bowing down to him. And all of that's good and fine, but he announces it to them. <laughs> he announces it to the brothers who already despise him. And so an arrogant attitude combined with this perceived undeserved blessing like a coat of many colors causes great envy. And now here's a good rule. Only announce your greatness to people who are as full of you as you are. Otherwise, they may rise up and they may strip you of your coat of many colors and cast you into a pit and sell you into slavery. John Maxwell says this, It is one thing to be the favorite child and get preferential treatment. It is another thing to rub it in. Jacob, his father, sends his son Joseph to check on his brothers. Now, what does that tell you, first of all? That tells you that he is kind of the family spy <laughs> on the brothers. George Bush, the scholarly commentator on Genesis, provides a convincing case that the Hebrew wording there means that Joseph was actually in charge of his older brothers, that he was tending them, acting as a shepherd over them, acting as a supervisor over his half-brothers who were all of them older, except for Benjamin. 
after Reuben had sinned against Jacob. And I, I won't repeat that whole story, but Reuben had sinned against Jacob. And Jacob had taken his birthright that you give to the oldest son in, in uh, Jewish culture. He had taken that away from Reuben. And now he was giving that to Joseph and he bypassed all of the other brothers and gave this birthright to Joseph. That coat to his brothers was symbolic of his authority and his superiority over them. So there they are out tending the sheep when Joseph comes to check on them. And our text tells us that Joseph had brought a bad report about them at least once before. And this time they were going to be sure that Joseph would not be able to bring another bad report about them to their father. They strip him of that coat. They stick him in a well to die. They drench the coat in blood so that they can lie to Jacob and tell him that they found it and then let Jacob come to his own conclusions about what happened to Joseph. Now it's interesting that the two sons of Leah, the firstborn and the fourthborn, Reuben and Judah, make some attempt to save Joseph's life. Clearly, the sons of the concubines did not have the same social status in the family as those two had, or especially as Joseph had. And there was just a lot of resentment against Joseph. But Reuben and Judah tried at least to do what was right. Reuben suggested leaving him in a cave or a pit to die instead of killing him. At least he hoped to be able to come back and pull him out and restore him and take him back to his father and maybe save his own reputation with his father that he had lost some years earlier. He couldn't imagine being held responsible by his father for his favorite son's death. He leaves. We don't know where he goes, but Reuben leaves. And the rest of the family sits down to eat with Joseph in a pit. They sit down to eat. Now, we just kind of read right past that sentence, don't we? But in verse 25 of chapter 37, it says the brothers sat down to eat. Joseph is in a pit. They plan to leave him there to die. And they are able to eat in peace. No loss of appetite. No remorse. No guilt. That guilt would haunt them for decades after this. But that day, it was not bothering them. There was no remorse, no guilt. They were just sitting down to eat their sandwiches. And all of a sudden, while they're eating, along comes this caravan passing through, which gives Judah an idea. Another way to save his brother, but to be done with him. And so, partially motivated by greed, he decides that we should just sell Joseph, pull him out of the pit, and sell him as a slave. 
And then all the evidence of wrongdoing would be gone. No one would ever, by accident, find him in the pit or find his remains in the pit. And there was no way word was going to get back to Jacob what had really happened. And so they sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. That was the price they put on Joseph. 40 ounces or a little over three pounds of silver. Not worth very much. Betrayed. Sold for a little to nothing by his own family who should have been the people who were there for him. And they sold him into a life of slavery. Wherever Reuben had been, he came back, and he came back to that pit to get Joseph out, and he discovered that Joseph was not there, and he tore his clothes in grief. He knew he was in big trouble with his father. And that's when they decided, and they came up with a plan then to soak Joseph's coat in blood and take it back to Jacob. Joseph appeared... or or Jacob appeared to handle the death of his wife, Rachel, really well. We, We talked about that back in October. And then Rachel's nurse, Deborah, dies, and he handles that well and and deals with all of that. But when he gets the news that his favorite son, Joseph, has died, that is just way too much for him. He had lost his reason for living. He was going to choose to live out his days in mourning. He was not going to enjoy another day of his life. He was going to live mourning. But what Jacob didn't know was that his loss was the world's gain. That Jacob was the vehicle by which his whole family was saved. Moses labels this whole section that we tend to call the life of Joseph, as I did when I started today, as the record of the life of Jacob. Did you catch that? We've all, I think, probably all called this whole passage from 37 to 50 in Genesis the life of Joseph. And that's because Joseph is the main character. But it's not about Joseph. These 14 chapters are about Jacob. The main character is Joseph, but the story is about Jacob. The story is about how God was faithful to a man named Jacob. Even when Jacob thought that he had lost his favorite wife and his favorite son was dead... And he was going to live the rest of his life in mourning. God was showing in these chapters how God was still doing his good and perfect plan in the life of Jacob. Even though Jacob could not see any of it. God was working behind the scenes in the life of Jacob. The brothers saw Joseph as an obstacle to be removed from their family. God saw Joseph as a key figure to save the brothers. Those brothers 
who were more than willing to murder or to sell their brother into slavery for life. God had a plan to save those brothers through the brother that they sold into slavery. I want to ask you this morning, have you been where Jacob is? Where the news is so crushing that you can't find any reason to move forward with your life anymore? And everything that you valued has been taken away from you. Have you been where the brothers are? Where family just hasn't made a lot of sense? It hasn't been very fair. They don't understand why Joseph, way down there, 11th child, is the favorite child, and he gets the birthright, and he gets all this, and he gets to be superior over all of us. Have you been where the brothers are? Have you been where Joseph is? Where the betrayal of your own family is so devastating and so mean-spirited by the very people who should care about you the most. And the world has gone dark and you can't find the tunnel with the light at the end of it. I want to say to you today, you may be done writing your own story. God is never done writing your story. You may think you're done writing your story, but God is not done writing your story. He was still writing the story of Jacob when Jacob threw it in the towel. He was still writing the story of Joseph when he was sold into slavery. And he was still writing the story of the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. God is working behind the scenes even through the toughest times that you will experience in your life. He has you. He is for you. He will not leave you, and he will not forsake you.